Striking while the iron's hot to be your authoritative voice for New Mexico soccer. Welcome to We Are Seek and Strike podcast. Sponsored by Roughneck Scarves and Icarus FC. Brought to you by Beautiful Game Network. Find us on the web at seekandstrikecollective.com. Hello, and this is uh, Chris Walker, the host of We Are Seek and Strike podcast. This is We Are Seek and Strike, the weekly edition, the podcast for supporters by supporters, bringing you the latest end-to-end coverage on New Mexico United. Joining me this week is co-host Veronica Zavala and our ghosts are... <laughs> not our ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I'll stick with ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> and our guest host is Patrick Baca. Patrick, Veronica, how y'all doing? Doing well. A little sleepy, but doing well. Yeah, doing yeah. What, what did you kind of stay out of this heat? Yeah. <laughs> we got a well, little rain down south, so okay. I don't know what heat was today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a. Uh, it was a little, little sunny up here. Um, Patrick joins us from Las Cruces. Uh, oh. Veronica is currently sitting out in Riverside, California, and of course. I am sitting here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So to kind of give you, you listeners kind of an idea of the geographical terrain that we're covering on this podcast. Well, guys, uh, first thing to really kind of jump into on this episode. Um, so a little bit of USL news uh, that dropped out the other day. Uh, the USL uh, championship continues to expand and uh, the newest uh location that they wanted to place a team is going to be Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, do you guys get to kind of read up on that uh, article a little bit or what are, what are your general thoughts about the USL expanding um, into some of these new cities? I think prior to this, it was uh, the idea was New Orleans um, and then, of course, uh, Rhode Island. I think uh, another team in in Florida why not? I mean, almost almost enough to make their own their own uh, their own region over there soon, right? But uh, uh, I thought it was interesting. I I like I like the expansion. I, I like I always like expansions. I don't I don't think it matters what sport. Um, I think uh, Tim Tebow heading the realm on that one, uh, taking the reins on that one, will be something interesting. So, what do you think his? Uh... Do you think that he'll have like a visible involvement, or do you think it was more just for the name, as far as this is concerned? Uh, I think uh, I think he'll ha- I, I think he'll be like a, a Matthew McConaughey. I think we'll see him do a little Matthew McConaughey how he is with uh, with Austin and really step into that. Um, that's what I would like to see at least. I mean, that'd be that'd be nice to see. If, if that's the new trend that we're going to see, which is like um, you're seeing a lot of like, um, you know, sports like athletes and movie stars and country singers jumping in on the U.S. So it's kind of cool because I think bringing USL to more of a mainstream, like kind of like all over the United States, um, this, uh, you know, their, their whole plan basically also would include building a mega stadium. 
that would seat up to 15,000 people. So we're, we're looking at like a lot of like just expansion. Yeah, I think like that's definitely interesting too. They'll obviously want to begin um, with that, uh, that 15,000 capacity stadium. They'll definitely right there. Um, they'll definitely be right up there with uh, New Mexico United as far as like these giant, um, these giant, you know, attendance records, right? Like already just kind of knocking on the door, uh, them and of course, Lou City. Um, the next bit of news, um, more stadium news at that. Um, Oakland Roots, Oakland Soul, and of course, uh, uh, 510. Uh, looking at a new stadium development, um, uh, possibly an interim stadium for the next several years, uh, up to 10,000 fans. Uh, Veronica, do you get to kind of read into this anymore? Any? Well, it it's kind of almost the same as what they're trying to do in Jacksonville, which is into this by building, you know, a, a mega stadium. I know that they want an interim stadium, but they are looking into actually building their own facility that would include like as well as well as the women's division so i i don't know if that's going to be like a trend that we're going to start to see with um, upcoming usl uh teams where like they're just going to fully jump into creating their own you know stadiums and um venues for you know for jumping into the usl sector yeah it seems like they're almost really trying to make sure that they don't have a lot of teams just jumping into baseball stadiums. Um, you know, they're trying to get, get a lot a little bit more. Like they're trying to, you know, almost rejuvenate the original vision of being in a stadium within the first three years. I think they maybe found their their second wind and maybe maybe the USL is getting a little bit more, you know, stringent. Like, hey, like this has to be a part of your plan. This is going to be necessary to be successful in this league i mean you almost kind of wonder if maybe that's some of the discussion happening in the background you know and you know hopefully some of that kind of follows back to teams like new mexico you know that are obviously still kind of you know trying to figure out you know the route to take as far as as far as the stadium is concerned i mean you kind of hope that we end up having a stadium long before you know, these are uh, 2025 launches and, you know. Yeah, I mean, it'd be nice. I mean, um, that that kind of reminds me. So we had a listener question. What We might as well just go ahead and throw it in right here. Um, uh, this one by Invest, cool. Invest UNM. Of course, he asked what was going on with the United Stadium. Now, I did try to um, hit up uh, Pete Leakes and try to get us some information of course uh, he just probably hasn't seen um his uh or that source or that that connection that i have sent him we'll just keep it pretty infamous right but um i i really and then the other comment he had was he thought maybe the stadium should be built by sandia casino and resort um i guess i just offer that out to the group i mean oh, wow. Do you think that putting the stadium near Sandia, which I think for the most part, if you're thinking it's like near I-25, there's not really much outside of that. Do you think that would be an ideal location for the stadium? 
or I mean, are we still kind of thinking like keeping it as close to downtown for the sake of how things are already set up is still the best choice? Uh, I think at least from growing up in Albuquerque, I really don't know. I mean, going out towards Sandia would be interesting. I think that, but I think that's more of a logistical nightmare uh, because I still believe that's tribal lands. That's I don't I don't know how far they go. I could be mistaken, completely mistaken, but I'm I'm more than positive that that's you kind of run in the same realm of the, I believe the same issues that I think Santa Ana's the Star Center had run into when Rio Rancho was trying to to pop that up and they had to move it around a little bit. Um, I think for United, I th and I think not just for United, I think for the city of Albuquerque itself and New Mexico as a whole, I, I personally think that downtown is probably uh, a game changer. It's probably uh, um, you're going to bring in a lot more revenue for the city rather than um, kind of putting it out in the outskirts. I think you rejuvenate downtown a little bit um and kind of give it some some pop and flourish and like if you think of like other other places right like if we look at other major sports most their most most stadiums are going to be sitting either downtown or just on the outside of downtown and um you can and you can look at all their numbers and and the types of businesses that flourish just for putting the stadium there so um i think ideally at least in my opinion, rail yard I thought was was a great location. I thought that was I thought that was a perfect spot, but uh, I guess uh, I was yeah, one of the few that were in that track. I mean that that was that had been my my first question when you said said about having you know them build it there. Is isn't that you know tribal land? And it, it would be it it would be their ballpark at that point, you know. Yeah, like, I mean, I guess mm -hmm. you have to wonder, like, I mean, okay, look at, uh, what is it, uh, Wild Horse Pass, right? Mm -hmm. So Phoenix's mm -hmm. stadium is currently set up on tribal land, right? And so right. Um, they moved it from Casino, Arizona to there. And, of course, they got a pretty sick facility, I would say, having been there. I mean, they got practice fields, everything came up. You know, obviously, that changes certain things. I mean, obviously, okay, for the supporter you know, tailgating in, in the lots, things like that gets regulated. I mean, based on what I would see out there at the Wild Horse Pass, I mean, they don't have that sort of atmosphere. It's basically like you're buying your brews like on site in the stadium, right? So, you know, so, and if you really want to meet up, you're going to meet up <clears throat> at a local establishment and kind of have that set up. Now, I mean, obviously this isn't all just for that, but I mean, certain things will change, right? The culture of maybe what has been maybe things that different folks have looked forward to. Now, I think United Front Office would probably, I'm sure that's not a showstopper for them, right? I'm sure yeah. if they were to get in a conversation like that, you know, they're mainly going to be looking at, you know, how to maintain, you know, obviously everything that has been the success of the club, you know, and, you know, in this instance, obviously there's more buying power, right? If, if this sort of conversation were to commence, I don't know that, that's the route they want to take. But I mean, it, it could be, I mean, that could be something that they look at. I'm sure they have to explore different offers. And if going downtown and using private funds and whatnot, that's just not the route. I mean, I'm sure that they're going to have to open up 
with their thoughts on it, right? I mean, there's definitely enough right. interested parties, enough partnerships that you can look at to say, okay, there are so many different people that are probably willing to put money in or probably already have other than these business partnerships, these corporate sponsorships. I mean, I'm sure that all is playing a part in the greater picture. So I guess more to come. I'm still going to look out for that, mm -hmm. uh, for that uh, homing pigeon from, yeah, Pete. Uh, from Pete, see if it, uh, if it comes anytime soon. The other, the other thing that I, little, yeah, little I was going to say the other thing that I wonder is what, what the public opinion would be on, because I know that was like, right, one of their driving forces too, front office's driving force was like, let's see what the public thinks. And, right. and um, obviously not everybody in Albuquerque or New Mexico in general is a, is a United fan or a soccer supporter in general, but um, mm -hmm. I think, I think going back that way and going back to what is, what does the community think mm -hmm. outside of just your mm, possible 15,000 supporters, right? Plus, mm -hmm. but local, like the, the idea would be to sell out venues is just kind of what is everybody else's opinion on, on maybe the outskirts of Albuquerque, not Rio Rancho, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, <laughs> but um or or is downtown still the play like like you said chris well and and think about it like okay the stadium didn't pass right or at least you know the the bill right or so to say the funding we're trying right. to get mm -hmm. now we're seeing the aftermath right i mean some things really are driving attendance factors right mm -hmm. i mean the team's current run of form is driving attendance factors i mean you know, the stadium isn't looking as full on the weekends. Okay. Right. So, I mean, some of these things kind of imagine being in a stadium and imagine some of these things happening while you're in the stadium right now, you mm -hmm. know, attendance factors are kind of shifting Wednesdays might look stronger than a Saturday. It's possible. Um, you know, uh, I, I think, I think there's, there's so much more to it now. And I mean, I would, I really try to think about like, about that too like okay we'll have a stadium we'll all be happy but we don't want to have a stadium where it's like wow okay we're only got we only got about seven thousand up mm -hmm. in this thing you know or whoa the team's like on a skid attendance is really starting to be affected you know what is the club gonna do to try to spike the attendance you know is this where they're giving mm -hmm. away more promo more flags i mean you know, we're seeing we're seeing other we're seeing other clubs. <clears throat> Excuse me, we're seeing other clubs. I mean, I look at Phoenix sometimes, and you know, they're like, man, like how much promo can you give out? <laughs> you know, and you know, creating promo nights don't exist. I mean, uh, you yeah. know, I don't know if we need. We haven't really had to get too heavy into that. You know, so you wonder if they had a, if the front office is going to have to work harder. You know, or you know, if the new stadium is going to be the brand new thing that the team was and mm -hmm. attendance is always going to be spiked because yeah, they're going to have that art gallery in the bottom and they're going to have these local businesses and you know, everything that has been sold to us already. So like maybe that will be the the driving factor. Right. And I, and I think um, that's why I really liked downtown was that because you say you're going to add all these cultural places, which right downtown we've already got multiple cultural places downtown. Right. And mm -hmm. so within walking distance of, of anywhere. Right. And so, or, or by uh, the good old art buses, but, um, 
I think that was I think that's what sold me is if you're gonna do it downtown, like the idea is let's rejuvenate downtown, let's add small businesses, right? Um we can't ignore the fact that New Mexico is a big brewery place. Like, um you know, how do you how do you get people to I think it's really how do you get people to buy in to this is really something that's gonna benefit not just soccer but everybody else. Right. Right. Key point for sure. Mm, mm-hmm. Just some good conversation on this. Uh, let's shift some gears here. Uh, so last episode, we started talking a little bit about uh, women's college soccer, namely New Mexico uh, women's college soccer. I'm really excited um, for this episode because between now and or between then and now, uh, we are actually unveiling a new show um, in the uh, We Are Seek and Strike podcast realm. Uh, this new show is going to be called The Enchanted Eleven. Now, The Enchanted Eleven uh, is going to feature myself, Chris Walker, Patrick Baca here, and Veronica uh, Zavala at times, um, looking into uh, coverage of the the New Mexico Lobos, New Mexico State Aggies, um, Eastern New Mexico Greyhounds, and the New Mexico Highlands Cowgirls. Um, I'm excited about this show because it's finally a platform for the women uh, where we can talk all things uh, woe-so, if you will, and we can uh, kind of expand this uh, this universe, if you will, as far as, um, you know, not just the recaps and the, the previews of matches, but also bringing on the players, bringing on the coaches, just really kind of uh, getting super enchanted, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's... That's that's this arch enchanting rather. So, um, yeah, I just want to kind of open the floor uh, up to Patrick, Veronica, as far as, uh, you know, some of your thoughts on this announcement for this new show and things you're looking forward to. Um, well, when when you had posted it out, I was like, well, man, that's that's a cool that's a cool platform that um, I think a lot of these uh, young ladies uh, deserve, especially now, like um UNM for the women have been a really strong program for the last couple of years, and and the Aggies are um, are on the back end of that reconstruction, I believe. Um, that they're they're really starting to look menacing, and they're looking like somebody that's not just a pushover anymore. And um, I, and I also like giving those smaller schools like Highlands and Eastern the. You know, we always talk about UNM and Aggies across New Mexico, so it's nice to recognize those uh, those other schools that we have. Yeah, I mean, I'm like I've said before, I'm fairly new to watching women's soccer, um, but after you know the first time that I came out to New Mexico and I saw Lobos, my first Lobos match. Um, I was kind of like, wow, like these ladies are, these ladies are legit. Like they, they're, it's just awesome to watch. So I'm excited to, of course, to learn more about that whole world and, you know, certainly discuss it and, you know, girl power all the way, you know? (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. So, uh, let's, uh, I guess this is another, uh, special segment uh, our first one under the title of the enchanted 11 again uh, as soon as we get the logo and um uh, mainly the logo created then we will uh, start to have a separate show outside of the weekly edition of we are seeking strike so you'll be able to have two shows on your feed at this point 
Um, so let's kind of get into some of the latest matches. Um, first off, we'll kind of talk about the uh, New Mexico Lobos versus Texas Tech game. Uh, this one was a 1-1 draw. Um, ultimately, the only uh, scoring Lobo was Jaden Edwards. Um, she uh, she just continues to impress. Uh, week before, gets a hat trick against Cal State Bakersfield this week. Uh, managed to step on a a pass from Texas Tech and take it to the house and ultimately drill one into the net um, to equalize for the Lobos. Uh, I was curious if either of you had saw this match and just kind of what uh, your take on the Lobos' um, progress through the weeks. Um, I didn't actually get to watch, uh, you know, being down south. Um, there's a certain bias that um, that tend to uh, arise. As Patrick um, is flashing his Mexico <laughs> State shirt, he's um, made it clear. And and um, I think that was the other thing that I was really excited about was being able to jump on and really drive home that uh, North and South Aggie Lobo rivalry. Uh, you know, it's gonna um, get hot. It's gonna, it's gonna get spicy. Um, no, I explain this to me later. <laughs> uh, um, that um, I think I, I like you said, Chris. I, for the most part, I've been kind of just following what's going on with UNM for the women, um, and the highlights that I see from Jaden Edwards, that girl's that girl's got some skill, and she's uh, you can tell she's really determined to really put her not just herself, but the team in a good place to fight in the Mountain West and and kind of get back to um, winning that conference and getting back and getting back to the getting back to the dance, right? So um, she, yeah. I, it looks like she's trying to do it not by herself, but she's she's well ready to put the team on her back if she has to. So. Yeah, uh, Heather, uh, Coach Heather Dyke calls it her. Uh, this is kind of her her year to just kind of. I'm not sure what she said to kind of just, just kind of wild out. Just kind of have fun. She yeah, says she her, fun. her year to have fun. And I mean, if you're scoring a hat trick, you're having fun. Okay. <laughs> in the first half of a match at that, um, I'll, I'll drop out some, some points from the match from Texas tech. Um, the Lobos found themselves down um, nil, nil one, obviously early on giving up some space inside the 11. Uh, this obviously uh, is something that the Lobos have to work on right there. They have to work on their defense as far as uh, taking away some of that space inside the box. The freshman goalkeeper, Allie Davis, um, <clears throat> is still doing quite the job for the Lobos, only having a goals against average of 1.35. Um, you know, she's you know certainly, I mean, got big shoes to fill, obviously, with Emily Johnson having graduated. So, I mean, she's it, right? Currently, that's what's going on. Um, I think J- Jaden Edwards really let Texas Tech know what she was on earlier on i mean she uh she emerged out of the midfield several times to ultimately uh create turnovers from their passes and and put them on frame and so uh, i think that that was something that texas tech just really never kind of adjusted from and i don't think that they could uh really stop Jaden edwards uh the lobos conceded way too many corners um they gave tech uh more opportunity to be dangerous i think there was about six corners uh that they had conceded and so i think the lobos really are going to have to focus on 
uh, keeping keeping ball in play or definitely like turning things into into throw-ins, which is what they tried to do kind of later into the match. They tried to definitely uh, not just easily give up give up the corner kicks. Um, there's no reason for them to obviously let Tech advance any more space than, than they were already getting on their own. Um, <clears throat> Leilani Baker uh, certainly continues to show that she has this phantom speed. I mean, obviously being back from injury, uh, she's very much a threat on the flanks, you know, being used up the wings. But she is one that is exciting to watch just because she's going to run all the way to the keeper, like regardless of the keepers teeing up the kickoff or whatever, like she's going to get all the way in there. And she has just proven that if they make a mistake in the back line or the keeper just takes too much extra time, she might take that off of, off of the boots and just put that in herself. So, um, I think just the biggest thing here to take away is that, you know, the Lobos are trying to find their form, right? They are trying to find that form where they're very dominant. And, you know, they've had some very tough matches. We can't forget that. I mean, playing number six Rutgers, who are probably now number three in the nation, I believe, the last time I looked, as well as this Texas Tech team, uh, they have definitely had some some tough opponents, and so as they're getting ready to, uh, you know, play this upcoming week, I mean, they're going to have Portland State and Grand Canyon U. I mean, both of those teams, obviously very tough opponents as well. So they'll continue to, I guess, shape themselves up against the talent that's coming in before they get into conference play. So that's, I think those are, uh, those are some, some points to really look at. And Veronica, you watched the, uh, the media availability for Heather Dyke, what things um, did you pull away from that that she was talking about? Yeah, well, I mean, they, they were kind of um, asking her, you know, of course, how, how she feels that the team is doing coming into the season. And she had nothing but a lot of praises given that they started off with two pretty difficult opponents right at the beginning. Um, they um, were kind of talking about, like, be you know um you know pretty much using for uh you know for the team as they progress because it is uh we do have a lot of new faces on the team this season uh we have uh you know so the the team has pretty much kind of changed a little bit um i know that she had kind of said that because of who they were going up against against um you know, um, Rutgers and Texas Tech, they played more on the um, on the defensive, right? But, but now kind of like coming out of that, she hopes to kind of put more offensive tactics and kind of like get the team ready to go into more of that formation um, now that they've kind of gone over that. Um, of course, you know, one of the biggest things that had changed the team was, uh, you know, having gone through COVID and that kind of like put some people in, you know, interesting uh, situations with the team and graduating and um, you know, it's, you know, I think it's very able to, you know, as, as a coach kind of see, like, these are the things that my team is going to be needing. Stance. Yeah, I think the interesting thing, thing there is that 
the the COVID year really did play into the Lobos' advantage, right, for their back to back championship seasons because it allowed for um, the players to kind of claim a fifth year, right? And right. so for the most part, it, it allowed Coach Heather Dyke to have some players again, right? And then for others, I mean, it's like mm-hmm. it's like now things have finally caught up, right? Now you didn't have Leilani Baker last year. She was out on an injury, so she could come back this year. Perfect time to be sitting next to Jaden Edwards on the field together, Jayden both seniors, right? So it's like that's a nice double threat. But you still have Zaria Catasigua that was a freshman last year and was the newcomer of the year. And so, you know, she's a sophomore this year. She gets to play uh, with those two. And essentially, you know, when they graduate, you know, then she's going to be the junior, right? And so now it's going to be about who else uh, comes to emerge. And I, and I think now this is a good time to address the other question that we had by Carl. He was asking what freshmen might be uh, making the most progress this year through their freshman year. And I would have to say uh, Mercedes Morris. Uh, she's a freshman currently forward. Uh, she saw some time. She's seen about 42 minutes or 60 minutes, rather. I said 42 on one place and then 60 in another, but she's seen about 60 minutes um, on the pitch so far. And she has already assisted both Jaden Edwards and Leilani Baker in the same game in the uh, Cal State Bakersfield game. So she's sitting with two assists. She's got good vision in the game. Um, and as someone I think who's going to be uh, kind of a key contributor. So, I mean, as far as freshmen are concerned, really Mercedes Morris, obviously Allie Davis being the goalkeeper. Um, those are the two freshmen who are making uh, the most strides at the moment. I think the rest of the freshmen right now are just battling to get on, which is kind of what, uh, Veronica, I think you were kind of alluding to with what Heather Dyke was saying was that, you oh, know, yeah, was. with, with, <laughs> with, part. yeah, with, uh, with, mm-hmm. with the COVID year, with players not graduating, with players being on the bench who hadn't played and with new freshmen also coming in is mm-hmm. that now things are really competitive because now, you know, in order for those freshmen to really see some time, where in the past freshmen like Jaden Edwards and Leilani Baker did, the freshmen are really going to have to be able to compete with the current, you know, sophomores and juniors and really try to get some time in, right? I mean, I think that's right. I mean, really the thing. Yeah, I mean, Heather literally said that training is where you can take that spot. So that literally means like you're, you, you show it up at training and then you can move into it's pretty much, you know, it's, it's, you just have to fight. Like she says, don't complain, work hard and just, you know, fight to get the spot you, you want. And that, that should make for a pretty awesome season, actually. Going to have the best of the best out there, you know? Right on. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so that's a little bit into uh, the New Mexico Lobos. Their next matches against Portland State on Thursday at 730 at the, uh, at the Lobo Den, or at the, sorry, the UNM Soccer Complex. I guess it could be either one. Um, the, Lobo and the, <laughs> the Lobo Den. It's funny. Um, or uh, the, and, and also there are the matches against Grand Canyon U on Sunday at 1 p.m. Um, so moving next into the New Mexico State Aggies, our man Patrick here. Uh, so the Aggies played the Texas Texas A&M Aggies. It was like just a straight-up Aggies match. Uh, now we know the result. Um Aggies of New Mexico State lost uh, 2-1 to Texas A&M with uh, Bianca Chacon 
having the sole goal uh, for the Aggies. But Patrick, tell us uh, a little bit about this match as far as what you saw. So uh, I think the Aggies got off to kind of a slow start. Um, it wasn't uh, the game was the game was pretty pretty well matched. I thought for the most part, but I think the slow start from the Aggies. Um, Kind of, I don't want to say shot them in the foot early, but um, uh, when they when they get when when they go down that first that first goal, I think it was real kind of like, oh okay, that's our wake up call. Um, let's let's get back into it, um, and um, really clawed their way back into uh, into a tough A and M's got to be one of the the tougher opponents, and I think they're, I want to say they're ranked right now or they're just on the outside looking in so a&m is is a tough opponent and um for a lot of the tactics i thought um they they're playing a really really solid uh, midfield game they're really trying to press their numbers um and get i i would say almost how you guys were describing unm and really kind of getting into that final third and making sure that getting into that final third counts uh, every single time. Um, uh, I got to watch them play that Oregon game too, and it seemed like they, were, they weren't they were settled in too much in the midfield, and that's where Oregon really kind of picked them apart. And the kind of same same thing with, um, with the A&M, where they, uh, the middle was kind of that space that I think they'll work on. I know that uh, uh, Chacon is playing... Uh, is playing probably some of her best soccer right now and i and i think the limelight's on her i know she scored the one goal here but i think the limelight's going to be on her um to uh really provide um that leadership for for uh for the aggies especially as a sophomore um she i think her first collegiate year she i think she played like 80 minutes in every game like she was the workhorse so um her sophomore year let's kind of see how she steps up um, and yeah yeah this game was real interesting when i watched it because you know the commentators i think you know obviously sometimes they feel like they control the narrative when you're watching the games right and they were really talking about the uh i guess the the differentiation of athleticism between the two teams right and you started to see it a little bit like it seemed like texas a&m obviously was a little bit faster maybe maybe they were like Maybe they had more, uh, I don't know, like uh, like maybe they offered more ranging like shots, right? Maybe they were able to shoot from range and from they were able to get in close. It just seemed like there, there were some differences between the two sides, but I don't feel like New Mexico State really let the those obvious factors really uh, dictate how they were going to play in the game. And they still managed to find a way to you know connect pass to pass and play some triangular uh motion and figure out how to advance the ball and we saw there were times when new mexico state kind of gave texas a&m the fits and you know had three solid uh chances right within like a five minute period and also became the aggressor right became more physical in the match figured out ways to kind of break down uh, this team and and one thing that sticks out to me, Patrick, is like in the second half where you saw like Landy Williams, <laughs> like really just just truck, like they hit throw the hit stick. <laughs> oh my gosh, it was it was crazy, right? Because you saw 
I don't know if it was the desperation setting in or if it was just the intensity picking up, maybe a little bit of both, but it was like, they were basically like, okay, we're taking out this player. We're taking out that player. Like we're going to disrupt here, disrupt there. But it was like definitely like vicious as it got later into the second half. I think that, I think that turned out to be more, I want to say more frustration. I think you could tell, um, and and you're right. More of the commentators talking about the athleticism. I I you can really tell that the A and M Aggies were. I would say a little, they looked a little bit more fit. I think they were more match match fit than New Mexico State. And um, I mean that could be up to a million different factors, right? But um, I think when you get pretty far into that game and you only show um, what out of 80 something minutes you only show 10 minutes worth of uh, of real promise right that that can get really frustrating and i think i think you're right that like the frustration i think comes in and that builds the t- the tent the the uh, tension up and uh kind of gets you to get off your game a little bit and um what what i what i was impressed with is that they didn't let that um fill up that rage bar if you know what i mean like it didn't really truly take over and they kind of um really stepped into spots creating those passes creating those lanes getting into uh the wide areas and and i think that's what um what the aggies are looking to try and do is kind of get into those wide areas because they've got some they've got some pretty tall players and they've got some like you said they've got the physicality to go up in the air and and really fish out some balls in the air and and really punish teams now um in years past they were pretty small they're pretty small teams um and so i think taking advantage of that um will be good for them and and like i said i think and it, it's interesting because you look at an a and m team that should that should be right this should be like hey we're gonna get in we're gonna get out simple result one two maybe three nil kind of get out of there and i think the aggies were like no we're gonna make this very very difficult for you and um and you're gonna work for this and when that when that goal went in i was like oh oh snap we're still <laughs> we're still in the game here <laughs> yeah and it, it was definitely like that and i mean of course obviously you know <clears throat> the, the the go-ahead goal would be one that uh the a&m aggies would just sneak across the goal mouth i mean i guess they had been really kind of exploiting that that pass through um through much of the match really and and just the New Mexico State Aggies just couldn't find a way to step on a ball or you know, take away the, that space. And I think um, they're obviously going to have to work on that, you know, um, the weeks to come. Now, leaders currently, I mean, I know it's like only three games in, but I mean, it's still, I think, a, pop, a good thing to talk about. But Bianca Chacon, um, Maya Hammock, and Loma McNeese all leading the Aggies each with a goal. Um, and an assist. So, I mean, obviously, those are three players to watch. Uh, one player who isn't in the uh, in the team sheet, yeah, or in the score sheet rather, team sheet, score sheet, either one, <laughs> um, uh, is uh, Sydney Johnson. And uh, I know she is a freshman on the team currently now. I know that they have been looking for her in Oregon. They looked for her a few times. She got a few touches. Um, and I know uh, with against uh, Cal State Fullerton, much the same. And in this match, I think there was maybe one or two opportunities, but um, I think Sydney Johnson could be someone that could really um, 
let loose as far as a a freshman for New Mexico State. And I wonder what it's going to take to really uh, free her up in dangerous spaces. And do you think that the emergence of these other three players, you think that maybe that will kind of help um, keep teams honest uh, as they go forward? Do you think, what do you think? I think I think for for NMSU to really settle into that game plan, I think one thing that they need to take away from this game against the Aggies is that they were able to, um, they, there were instances where they were able to find that gap in between the midfields and the defense, and then set up the 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 quick one two, and then get out into space again. And I think if we're gonna get Sydney Johnson to um, really be involved because let, let's be honest she's got some speed on her too she's she's got some wheels that she can unhitch the trailer and so um i think giving her a quick one too and getting her out into that into that space real quick if you can play at a little bit faster level for her i think you'll cause a lot of problems for her to get finally get on the sheet i think your midfielders are going to cause once once they kind of settle in and get into some uh maybe towards whack whack play They'll be able to to really figure out um, kind of what they want to do, and um, I think she'll excel. If not, if not this year, then the next year. But I think we, I think for the Aggies, I think you really want her to get on, get on the board, get a couple in now, and then really let her shine in whack play. Right on. So a couple of matches coming up for the. Uh, New Mexico State Aggies. We got UTEP. The big one. <laughs> the Battle of I-10 on Friday at 7 p.m. And uh, Portland State <laughs> on Saturday uh, at 7 p.m. Interesting to note, Portland State will be playing the Lobos on Thursday. So um, Portland State has got a little uh, New Mexico uh, weekender tour uh, for and themselves. You, and you know you know what's funny is that both teams are going to be watching opposite games. And they're going to be both looking at the port. They're going to be both looking mm-hmm. at the Portland game and say, "Okay, this is what Portland's doing, and this is what this is what uh, the Aggies or what this is what the Lobos are doing." I you can tell that uh, both both coaches have this game circled because hey, common opponent that's the one that you want to look at. So, um, who's bringing out the different style? And I feel bad for Portland. <laughs> the one thing I got to say though is I was kind of bummed that there wasn't a. Uh, New Mexico Lobos, New Mexico State Aggies uh, match this year, like last year. I was really hoping that that was going to be another uh, another return series. I all I'm saying is that finally getting one on the board, a W against your in-state rival is uh, feels good. <laughs> feels good. Uh, no, and you know what's funny is that I think I think. Uh, <laughs> I always tell somebody, so when I first came down here, I grew up in Albuquerque, and so it was funny when I got down here. I was like, oh, Aggie Lobo game, Aggie Lobo game, right? Everybody's excited for Aggie Lobo game. But you get down here, and everybody's like, no, man, like, we don't like UTEP. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's the game. That's the uh, game. Yeah. The Battle I-10, is is, that's the rivalry down south. Wow. Gets so, real down there. So you're gonna go to that game? Is the question. Uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see. I'll be. I'll be trying to catch some moments. That's for sure. Okay. Um, you, you should. So you can. You can kind of like give us a little. I. Tidbit, I you, like you live know, information. You know. You know. I'd. I'd love to go, but uh, I've got some. I've got my uh, practices that I've got to get to. 
Uh, I've got okay. I've got some high school games that we've got to prep for for the weekend. So so maybe we'll make some time in there. We got to go check out the NMSU and Highlands uh, uh, exhibition games. So that was nice. Nice, nice. Cool. Yeah, you know, because this uh, for the last thing I want to say about uh new mexico state is they're getting ready to open up a five game homestand so like um i Mm -hmm. didn't get a chance to hear the full audio today um of the head coach speaking uh for media availability but had caught kind of the tail end of it the uh head coach um he had gone to portland so portland state obviously was a huge rival and so he was talking a little bit about uh portland state and just them kind of being a uh, kind of a tough opponent these days and so he's looking forward to this one uh, from the standpoint of coaching against Portland State. So that should be uh, very interesting. And I think um, that's I think that's good for the Aggies. I think that's um, one thing I've noticed is that this program under under his direction has really taken up a step in these last couple of years. So I think this is one that everybody circled for him and saying, "Hey, we'll get this done for you," and really. Um, really drive in that's so i i i wanted these couple of these last two years and moving forward under his direction for the aggies is good you see a lot more attendance to these games you see a lot more fight from the aggies so uh, maybe next year when they get that aggie lobo game we'll have to uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll uh, sit down and take and enjoy the play nice that sounds good uh so uh moving into uh the next here we've got Eastern New Mexico uh, Greyhounds, um, and they had a couple of matches. Uh, they play against uh, CSU Pueblo, uh, which they got a 1-0 win. Uh, Tori Galindo had the lone goal in that match, and then, of course, they played against uh, Colorado Christian uh, over the weekend on Sunday, and they uh, came out with a nil or a nil one result, uh, losing that match. Um, so First off, I'd like to obviously give the congrats, a shout out to uh, head coach Eric Belcher for getting his uh, first win as a Greyhound. Um, that's that's huge. So we definitely got to uh, give you a, a round of applause as we will here. Yes. Uh, tip of the hat. Congratulations. Coach. <laughs> that is right. So the Eastern New Mexico Greyhounds, uh, they got some fight in them. I'm going to say that. They have some fight in them. Um, they split these results. Um, I would say – it was really interesting to to watch them play because I mean uh, in both matches, uh, one thing that I noticed is that they were outshot by ten shots, right? So Pueblo and also uh, Colorado Christian obviously came out the gate um, against Greyhounds and they were literally like getting chances right away. Um, the Greyhounds definitely had to fight for what they could get. I mean they definitely were trying to stay in these matches, right? The one thing that I thought was real interesting um, in the Pueblo match was that uh, the Greyhounds only had five shots and all five were were shots on goal. So, I mean, their efficiency in that match was better. I mean, fewer shots, right? But obviously, if they were, the ones that they were taking were were dialed in, you know, um, that to me seemed like obviously a positive point to come out of that. I would say uh, in the match against Colorado Christian, that was that one was a bit different. I mean, uh, Colorado Christian very physical, kind of early in the match. Um, the thing that I think uh, that that uh, Eastern New Mexico has to work on really is just 
not conceding the corners, right? That was a big thing uh, for for the Greyhounds. A standout player is probably Haley Huff. Uh, she was one who really is dangerous uh, on the right wing. Uh, she, for the most part, was probably the difference maker uh, for the Greyhounds, definitely in the uh, CCU match where they didn't win, but she was definitely the one that was still giving them fits and still finding ways uh, to, you know, basically link up with the balls that are passed out to her. Um, it's still made for quite the threat. Um, but, uh, you know, for the most part, like just looking at the numbers, it was like, well, the Greyhounds only took two corners, right, through the two matches. Um, so to me, that's that's obviously a big thing is can they – can they keep the ball in play more or, you know, obviously just not give up that sort of advantage to opponents? I mean, now Pueblo, I thought it was interesting because, again, like they were outshot for the most part. Pueblo was knocking on the door, but it was it was just the fact that uh, the Greyhounds were in a dangerous spot. I mean, it was a chip shot to a header and that was all all she wrote, you know, so. Um, that's kind of what I would say that the, the matches weren't super eventful. Um, again, it was, this is a new Greyhounds team, I believe, you know, obviously under a new, new head coach. So there's probably, they're still very much buying into, you know, I'm sure his, his strategy, his, 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 uh, methods, and they're still obviously playing together as a squad. Um, so, you know, that's really all I could kind of say about that their next match coming up actually is against New Mexico Highlands on Sunday. And so um, I think we'll, we can say a little bit more about the two teams after we kind of jump into this next segment. So Patrick, I know you got a chance to watch uh, the New Mexico Highlands Cowgirls versus Chaminade of Honolulu, uh, where uh, Chaminade won five to one. Um, And so that was, you know, the only one to score for uh, Cowgirls was Melissa Oliveras. Um, but uh, kind of go into that match. Tell us, like, a little bit of what you saw and some of your thoughts about just the result and what Highlands can do going forward. Um, I think for Highlands, it's a lot of it's got to be cleaned up on the defensive end. Um, they're, um, I, I really like where they're going attacking-wise. Um, but uh, it's hard to get chances um, if you're always playing on your heels. Um, so I think one thing for Highlands is that uh, you settle in uh, on defense and kind of, I don't know if it's a chemistry issue. I don't know if it's a uh, communication issue or what it may be, but um, to outshoot a team and then concede five is, it's tough. It's uh, I don't I, it's very tough, and for a lot of the goals they were just one runner in, play the ball through, simple one on one with the keeper and keep it keep it clean and keep it a finish and um, uh, Shamanad just took advantage of you know the, those spaces and it felt like there wasn't so much support on the defensive end as there was going forward. Um, and I and I think that you obviously you want to score goals to win, but uh, you know as they say these days, champ, uh, defense wins championships. So 
Yeah, um, I think I think the crazy thing about this game was like, I mean, it was scoreless for the first thirty minutes, so mm-hmm. I really didn't know who was who just quite yet, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and and you know, obviously, I, I went back and watched the rewatch. You had watched it the first time around. When I went back, I was like, "Geez, like, you know." The first 30 minutes, it was like it it could have gone either way. And um, it seems like where uh, Shamanad really thrived is they really thrived just in that short game. I wonder if I wondered if elevation would become a factor if the altitude. Right. Because it was like some six thousand feet from travel. Right, and you know, just, Hawaii is far. Right, well, they're in Hawaii is at sea level, and so it's like I wondered if that was going to be a factor, but it seemed like as soon as um, Shamanad kind of broke in on the short game, and they just got up front, it was like they could just not be stopped. Like they had this phantom speed burst that I've that I've already been talking about through through this coverage, and they just literally just simply just got a shot on goal and it was like in it was like there just wasn't much to it and you know one thing that i thought for for highlands was just like man like their their back line was just never set like they they could not they just couldn't stop it you know and at times i think shamana just kind of used the, the defenders to kind of run behind them and kind of screen the goalkeeper and essentially just create these opportunities and I mean, I thought they they just came by those goals just too too easy. too easy. It was too just, easy. Yeah, it, it just was, felt it felt easy. And yeah, and and that's what I mean. Like, I don't know if that's a communication thing. I don't know if that's just a chemistry thing. But at some point, I think you have to sit there and say, "Hey, collectively, we need to adjust." And um, if that's yeah, and I'll tell you, I think it was probably the last two goals that felt the easiest because it you mentioned the short game for the first uh, i would say close to first 50 minutes of the game or you know after that it just felt like i get the ball in midfield and i'm gonna play it through and then my speed is just gonna overtake him and that's right and that was all that's, it, and, that's, all it and that's all it take right and so i mean if you can settle into that if you're shamanad and you can s- s- settle into that i mean take it take take what you can right but uh I think that's where um, you need to sit down and say, okay, how do we look defensively before we go for, before we go forward, right? Right. Exactly. Um, so, Cowgirls' next matches: uh, Lubbock Christian on Friday at two, and then of course Eastern New Mexico on Sunday at one. I'm really circling the Eastern New Mexico uh game on sunday at one for these two just because for one it's great to be able to see two of the teams that we're covering uh playing each other and also i think they might be evenly matched in some regard um i think there might be a slight edge to eastern new mexico just because like obviously like they were able to do a few more things and you know they do look good on defense for the most part um i think for eastern new mexico it's really just about putting it together on the front end and, you know, and of course, you know, we did see, I think for the most part, we did see a little bit of Highlands trying to do some things. So um, I'm just really interested to watch that match. And I'm really interested to see like how the tactics play out in that one. And I think, I think if you're, I think if you're Eastern, I think you, you go and you look at that Shaman game and you say, 
control the middle and I think we'll be okay. And I think for the that um I think I caught glimpses of that uh CSU Pueblo game. They were able to kind of sit in the middle and then react from there or or pressure from there. So if you're able to recreate that, then if you're Eastern you're sitting like I think you're right that they have the advantage. And not to make the pun, they also have that dog in them. So um they're aggressive. They're um they you know they're not afraid to be physical is is that is that point and if you're highlands like i said you just if you're highlands you got to figure out how you're going to work midfield and defense and then you can figure out how you're going forward and maybe it seemed like a lot of the a lot of the good things that i saw from highlands was on set pieces corners right that's obviously where they got their goal right second ball in and um, I think set pieces, if you create more set pieces for yourself, I think you'll be okay. Right on. Well, that's going to wrap up uh, this week's edition of the Enchanted 11. Uh, now we're going to move on to uh, the the New Mexico United coverage. Uh, we're going to talk uh, the match that we just saw over the weekend. New Mexico United traveled up to Colorado Springs and played Colorado Switchbacks. Um this uh, kind of begins the review. Uh, we know coming into this match, United um, and Switchbacks were kind of playing for third place. We know Switchbacks were sitting in third place, and United mm-hmm. obviously three points back, trying to get in that conversation. Uh, one thing that was kind of brought up was that United's last five, they conceded nine and only scored five, so United really hasn't been scoring goals. Um, some things I was initially happy to see um i was definitely happy to see uh ratty ovuka uh make the start um i think there's mm-hmm. just been too many matches where he's not been uh, in the starting 11 and to me it makes sense with josh suggs out that you would have been starting ratty because i thought ratty was you know definitely going to be our kind of our solution to a real strong left left winger and i'd, I'd been really surprised he hadn't been in the matches um, want to get your guys' initial thoughts on the lineup coming into this match. Uh, the top three was uh, Freighter, Weehan, and Moreno. Mm-hmm. Um, Portillo was back in the midfield, which was great. Seymour was back in the 18, but did not start. Uh, it was um, Ryden, uh, Alexi Swy, and uh, Hamilton. And Hamilton. Hamilton. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, just want to get some of your initial thoughts on the lineup. Was this kind of what you thought you would see? Did you think that maybe you would see uh, Rivas back in the lineup somewhere in the starting 11 or that you would see Seymour back um, in the uh, back line? Uh, what, were you, what were your thoughts? Let's discuss. Um, so I kind of, I don't know. I, I liked it. I, uh, I thought getting, I think, I think for the most part, getting Kavon Freider back into that lineup was, was good. I, you, th- you think that when you re-sign him, right. And you bring him back, I think you give a lot of, um, reassurance that maybe we, you know, he, he scored a lot of goals for us while he was while at his tenure here at United. And then. Um, and it felt like for a while that's kind of what we were lacking is a true goal scorer. And I think when you put um, um, Portillo back in the uh, back in the lineup, who what who's top five in assists? 
Yeah, they're saying he's uh was he like uh, number two in chance creations in the league? Something something like that. The that he's he's playing at a very high level, and so if you get somebody like that, I think that's a good uh, a good lineup. And I think um, also having Moreno back is you know it's key, and you kind of start to see a little bit of this. But um, I think for I think if you're if you're looking at that game, you're expecting uh, a very um, attack heavy. Uh, rapid, um, sorry, rapid switchbacks team. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't don't crucify me, please. <laughs> it's all it's, it's it's all the same. It's, it's all it's all one in the same. Um, uh, I think you're I think you're expecting to go up against a very attack heavy switchbacks team, and I think the lineup for them uh, gave them that versatility. I, I I would say you would think that that would have given them a little bit of the versatility. I mean, I think it was definitely a a lot younger lineup, which is what we needed to go up against Colorado Rapids. Um, I mean, having Freighter, Moreno, um, Hamilton, you know, Obuka in in the starting lineup, I think was one of the best, like the chances that we could have given ourselves. Um, these are all very offensive players that just kind of like charge charge out and it's it's really what we needed to you know to have a chance especially with bruce brucey in there too you know <laughs> um, definitely. my my cat charlie tuna agrees he said that was a good point um yeah daniel bruce definitely obviously gives us something uh very interesting i mean just because i think that uh he can get out wide right and i think teams mm-hmm. really do see that you know he obviously dictates a little bit when he gets out wide, um, he he um, he along with Portillo, I think that was kind of a good a good connecting point. Um, let's kind of let's kind of shift our thoughts here. Um, early on in this match, uh, Colorado Springs really just dominated. I mean, they uh, for the most part found chance after chance after chance, and they were in the uh, final third several times. Um, I was there in person and just watching that match, it just seemed like we just did not have good vision um, when it came to seeing all the runs that were being made um, as subsidiary runs, right? All the different like connecting points, we were giving up so much space. And, um, you know, I just want to get your thoughts like as to what do you think uh, was going on? Because I mean, we had that back three, we weren't necessarily dropping the midfield at that time. It was just Colorado Springs getting in, like, on some dangerous spaces on us. I mean, what did you see, Patrick? I thought, you know, like I said, so you have a very um, – I don't want to say front-heavy because they're not front-heavy. The switchbacks have a really solid solid lineup, but um, you have that speed and you have the alertness from some of those midfielders and some of those players like Haji Berry, right, who's going to be the one that gets the goal. But um, I don't know. Like, I, I think I saw the same thing. I don't want to say it was anything else, but I think at some point you have to f- figure out why they were getting into those spaces. And for me, I think it was a focus where, uh, like you said, we should have been hitting the, the passes on on those uh primary secondary runs right we're getting them going we're getting bruce down the line and there's cases where we're 
um, playing back into pressure where, you know, where we don't want to go back to. And, and it almost seemed like um, Colorado was just in the, in the right spot at the right time. Because from a defensive standpoint, it seemed like we're in this back three and we were <clears throat> very spread out for the most part. If you think about it, because I mean, Colorado was taking the game very wide, and I think that was their their game plan, right? I mean, their game plan was to take the game wide, and they played so. I mean, it was like they were tight roping down the sidelines. Right. Like they were certainly just um, taking the game wide. That stretched out United. And then, of course, they had other connecting runs that were coming down the middle. Um, I was, <clears throat> you know, just you just watch Haji Berry, and he just loves to just hit that that space mm-hmm. in between the fullback and the, and the center back, like just all the time. And the chemistry that, that Colorado Springs was showing, like they just, you just knew certain balls were going certain places. Right. I mean, and, and certain, certain opponents to United just really um, just are very like dialed in that way. I mean, mm-hmm. you think back to the Phoenix matches where they were always sending any ball up to the top left channel and they knew someone would be there every single time. And that's because United was in the back three, right? United was <clears throat> not trying to really give up, you know, too much of the inside. So they let the players kind of advance it for the wide angle. And I think that what you saw in this match was uh, Colorado Springs pulling the guys out wide. And there were times when they were smart enough to bring, obviously, the center back into one of the fullbacks, right? And they kind of created some double coverage, but that left open the middle so wide. And I think that's why Zach probably had to start dropping some midfielders in because it was like they were giving too much away. But my question is, why don't you think he just decided, why don't you think he would have just shifted into a back four rather than pulling down, you know, two of the midfielders and creating this like back five and not having much to do on the counter? I think a lot of that has to go with, um, you know, that like, for what both you and, and Veronica had said is that like we have t- two, three great midfielder playmakers and not to say that you, when you drop them down or you change that, you probably take away from your game plan. That had to be uh, Zach saying, Hey, no, this is a game plan thing. We're going to cause fits on the, en- on the outside too, which we showed some cases too, right? Where we could get Bruce out wide and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then even Portillo gets out wide a couple of times himself and we can cause fits. And I think that goes to lend itself like how far are you going to let the game plan go? Cause I think you're right. Like at what point do you s- switch a formation and say, okay, yeah, they're, they're at one point they're going to send us too far wide and we're going to take that read, which we saw a couple of times, right? I'm going to play down the right wing and, not actually take it full right wing. I'm going to come back to the middle. And now we have Haji Berry sitting in that space that he loves to sit and, and kind of get some, get some chances off. Right. And cause some problems. And now we're drifted apart. Um, ultimately, I think if you're, you're not shifting those around, I want to say that's a personnel game plan. Hey, this is what we had in mind. This is, we're just going to try and keep that, that going. That, that goal in the 38 minute, like up until that point, I just wondered like when it was coming, right? Because I mean, Colorado Springs had so many chances. I mean, Barry was coming through, um, Amo was coming through, even Mitchie and Galena was coming through, and of course, obviously, 
three big threats for us. Um, so obviously a, a nice through a nice cross rather sent over Haji Berry's shoulder, literally drops at his feet. Initially, Daniel Bruce is first on, of course, then also Sam Hamilton would be next. Um, when you saw this play developing right before the goal scored, uh, what, what were your initial thoughts, your reaction, maybe even some of your afterthoughts? You know, for, for a bit, I really, like for a split second, I thought the Timbacos was going to like block another one. Because, I mean, within the first, uh, what, 15 minutes, he had already blocked six six shots, right? That's what I was counting. And um, for a second, I was like, ah, he's, he's going he's gonna to get it. But it just went too high over his head. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't know. It was pretty difficult to watch. What do you think, I think Patrick? I think if... <laughs> I think I was sitting in that same boat with you. Is uh, th- at what at what point are we just going to concede and just you know? Yeah. Maybe is it do we concede and then we kind of reevaluate? Is that what, but that that doesn't change, right? Is is we do end up conceding and it didn't feel like anything really changed and um yeah <laughs> yeah I don't know I, think- I don't know man that was. <laughs> Man. That one was hard because I you see that ball come over come over top and I was just like oh, sh- oh please make a play but like this is this is probably the one and sure enough yeah. like yeah I I have to say and I, I knew I was gonna say this on the show and and uh, Veronica you just have to use a uh, a bleep track for me a riff track <laughs> but I was really thinking like what the fuck. United like, <laughs> like I was literally standing there and I was like watching this thing I was like oh no oh no oh god here it comes you know and sure enough I mean it was Daniel Bruce I mean like he he from my angle he saw the ball fall he like looked at it mm-hmm. like looked down and I was like he's looking at it and then he didn't it wasn't like he stepped on it did, he didn't, you know, anything he could have done or that he start, would have started to do later in the match, like jumping in, in, in space and throwing his body or anything like that. And then, of course, Sam Hamilton was next. And it was like he just kind of got juked. It was, I mean, I, I've watched now a different angle of it. And it was like, wow, like he just fell. Like it was, how'd you bury? I don't know if he just kind of commands that sort of like thing. Like he just, he's <laughs> there in your presence and you just, you just don't know what it's to do. And, uh, I think I think he he is that type of player though. You kind of have to give him credit for that because you could you could look at the games from this year and and even from last year, not just against United, but most of their other switchbacks games, is that he is one of those ones that gives you like that um, almost like Latan Ibrahimovic vibe that like that I'm here, you're gonna know I'm here and. Yeah. You you better figure it out. So um I couldn't even put that on Alice Tambacus because I didn't really think it was his fault. I, I mean, what's what is no, he left he... what is he left to do with two two players who didn't get it done prior to him? I mean, he just get lucky, like maybe that first chance and maybe just happened to fall on it. But I just couldn't put it on him. I was like, nah, this really isn't a, this isn't really yours. This is no. between Bruce and Hamilton, I thought. And, there, and there's not really much for him to do after, right? After it yeah. gets a, to ha- a pass Hamilton, like it's. And I, I, 
I think I've kind of said this about Bruce before that, you know, I, I love Brucey. It's sometimes when it's like, it's going to be an epic, epic score, or it's going to be an epic, like what in the world. And, you know, I, I don't know what happened in that. And that split second in his mind where he just like, he couldn't, he couldn't make that, you know, he just kind of just let it, not that he let it purposely, <laughs> but you know, it's almost that slow motion, like, Oh, now I should move. Yeah, now I should. Well, move. <laughs> and when the goal goes in, it's just like this. Oh no! Now we're down one goal to a team that is pretty up to this point, very potent. <laughs> I mm -hmm. mean, like, you know, I'm, we're I'm surprised it wasn't more goals and prior to that. I mean, because uh, yeah, I was gonna say they had multiple opportunities to just jump on us from what. First five minutes. Yeah, and I mean that first one comes in like what the the sixth minute or something or sooner. And I mean that does definitely speak to uh, the defense that that United was showing. I mean, like you know, I you know when you're in when you're in the game when you're you're there live, you're watching it. You know, all you can really think about is, man, why aren't there a lot of United goals or opportunities happening? You know, and you kind of take away from the fact that obviously they are playing together defensively. That things are happening in the final third. You know, they're just things weren't happening in like the attacking third, right? They just, you know, passes weren't being threaded together or they were. And then, of course, you know, they dissipate before something can happen. Um, I think about um, Bruce getting into the final third and actually getting past a few players, but just not having enough force on his right foot to really be able to put a goal in or or maybe even Amanda Moreno making some dashing runs. But, you know, where he got massive style points, it just didn't really equate to, like, any goals, you know? It felt like we were maybe taking that one extra – that one extra touch that maybe should have been a pass instead of a touch. And, um, you know, those type of things can can really just frustrate you if you're like, uh, I'm trying to do too much or, or whatever. and. And I, I, from my perspective, it felt like let's let's try this and force it too much. But at what point, right, from a potent offense, are we gonna not capitalize on chances that we get, right? Like Bruce's cuts gets through. Let's play that extra ball um, to Freighter. Uh, I know that Marina had a good opportunity. Gets that extra touch. And it just, yeah, it just kind of just falls to the wayside, right? So, um, yeah, and I mean, there there was just other things, like you could look at. I mean, let's look at this. Like Radio Vuka, I mean, shows us a little bit of what he can do. I mean, he's got you know a defender on the wing, and he literally just splits through two defenders pulls them both in, he's able to get the ball passed, even gets a bit of a give-and-go, uh, right? Gets it back to his feet. I mean, you know, ultimately he stops when he's, like, into the box. But that's, like, something of which we were looking forward to with him. And so we know, like, wow, like, when Radio Vuka kind of took that on his own, you're like, wow, like, he elevates the game. But I just felt like um, – I just felt like – he um 
the rest of the team just doesn't always play up to that that speed. You know what I'm saying? No, I I, I agree, and I think there you I think that's a dynamic shift of um, right with uh, there's no, I don't think we're in panic button mode yet. We're fifth place. Uh, what five points up? I, I don't have the table looking at it. Um, um how many points are we out of? First out place, of, you said? Out of, out of, you know, dropping a... Well, we're currently sitting... 42 points. Yeah. 42 points. Five points, I don't think, with what? Seven games to go? Right? That's what we're yeah, we at. seven games to go. Um, the total that we can get is 63 points if we were to win out at this point. But I think that goes, that goes, like, so... That goes to um, a dynamic shift of we're in the same spot again with more draws and close ending losses than we should be than than anything. So if um, we're gonna, I th- you have to elevate that play, right? You have to say, okay, if he's if we're gonna show flashes of brilliance from 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 some of these players, then why isn't everybody reciprocating that that flash of brilliance, right? This was a big match um, going into this match. Um, with Colorado Springs winning it, like it obviously creates some distance, a little bit harder to kind of catch up to them now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, obviously that's that's a big, big detail in, in things. Um any more thoughts that either of you have about this match? Anything else that that you want to bring up or you want to talk about? I think I think for us to finish I think for us to finish out the year, you have to have those reciprocated like um, flashes of brilliance. I think everybody needs to see those and say, okay, we've got more opportunities, right? Because uh, it just felt this game felt stale. Like I think that's the word I was looking for. Is right. it just felt felt stale? Um, okay on defense. Okay in the midfield. Okay up top and just I I don't think okay is okay is not going to be switchbacks. Right. Uh, and I think that's I think that's what it boils down to. Everybody wasn't good. Everybody wasn't bad per se. But being just okay isn't gonna beat the switchbacks. It's like they they had some they had some moments where you thought we were gonna see that you know that winning United right that Ward Road Warrior United, and um, you know especially with like Chris uh, Weehan and stuff like that like you saw him do some moves but then there was nobody there on the other side of that and then uh, Colorado regained possession. And we saw a lot of that. We saw a lot of like like two second intervals where it was just gonna be glorious. And then we lost possession of the ball again. Um, we definitely need to have that confidence uh, as a team. They need to have that communication and that confidence uh, to, to know how to communicate with each other on the pitch, just like Colorado knew. Colorado knew where we were every second of the match. And uh, <laughs> that's just what it seemed like. Whenever they turned around, boom, there's there's two guys already knowing what they were going to do. 
And that was, that was, uh, you know, it, that sucked to watch, honestly. It was like, man, come on, guys. Um, obviously, we all believe that they can do so much better. Uh, it's just we need to figure out, like, what happens to them when they're out there that, that the things that they talk about in practice don't always translate onto the pitch. That's a good point. Very much so. Well, yeah, that was definitely a hard one. I'll tell you that uh, from the supporter standpoint, you know, that was probably the fun part of the trip. Uh, definitely amount. I've, I, there, I mean, there had to be at least 50 of us there, if not more um, in that section. So very good showing from the supporters, definitely. Um, and of course, you know, there were good times had before and after with pre and post uh, meet um, our match meetup. So that was good. So, um, you know, if you're listening to this and you went on the trip, you know, definitely would love to know what you loved about the trip. Maybe some points you thought about the match too. Definitely tweet us at seek and strike NM on Twitter or hit us on Facebook or Instagram on the uh, post for this episode. We'd love to hear from you. Um, so guys, let's switch into uh, a fun part of this episode. It is currently Derby week. Uh, this is the 13th installment of Derby del Camino Real uh, with El Paso Locomotive. Ah, we look forward to this. I mean, you know, the last installment, uh, 2-1 victory at Southwest University Park. Uh, United pulls out the win on their home opener. The fireworks and everything, ah, it's just a, it's replaying in my mind. But here we are later in the season. Here we are later in the season where this should be a must win for United. United is struggling to win matches at home and has a El Paso side that is obviously still alive and looking to obviously make their uh, playoff uh, hopes uh, a strong contention. So I guess just to start, um, what what are some of your thoughts about this match um, lineup-wise? Well, I, I think outside of lineup-wise, you, you said, I think this is a, a must-win. I don't think there's a panic button if we don't get a result out of this, but um, in your minds, you should be saying we're walking away with three points, and that's anything less than three points should be should be okay. Time to press the panic button a little bit because you can't go and lose two in a row and then especially one against the team in the south further than me but (laughs) (laughs) Um, i mean this is this is the derby though this like yeah this is el paso like you if there is a match that you want (laughs) zach prince and the boys to win on the schedule it is two matches against el paso yeah that is the truth and right now, New Mexico has the edge on the all-time uh, going 3-7-2, and two, right? I mean, seven draws between the two sides is like, gosh, that's that's what's probably fueled the the rivalry the most. Yeah. <laughs> Not that mention, there's no tipping the scale. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Not to mention the majority of those, or a good, a good what should say, a, a, a third of those matches were played at the swap. In 2020, so, uh, you know, all these matches played on the road there. Um, man, so just kind of coming into this, 
uh, El Paso in their last last five is one three and one. We're also one three and one. So both sides kind of obviously having kind of the same spell. The only difference is that El Paso is coming off a win against Phoenix Rising three one. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that that match against Phoenix gives them any sort of momentum coming into this match? I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I don't think so. Uh, I I think. Um, I think if if you're El Paso, if if Phoenix, I think if Phoenix was wasn't a shell of themselves from years prior, um, then yes, I think it gives you a little bit of momentum. But I I, I want to say El Paso maybe takes a little bit of I don't want to say momentum, but a little bit more um, confidence. I think they'll bring a little confidence into the game. But um, like as, as you point to it's it's a derby match so how much confidence are you really bringing in compared to you know because for el paso this is a must win like i think for both teams you're looking at this saying this anything less than three points isn't good enough what do they usually say form goes out the window in this one yep form (laughs) goes completely out the window in this one this is (laughs) this is more of a who's gonna survive to the next day who's gonna survive 90 minutes first and, and, and we can uh, expect we can expect plenty of Yuma fall downs. Uh, that's where you cue a soundboard in and put a little a little diving board splash. <laughs> um, oh man, you know you know the supporters really do just despise what he's about. But you know, I mean, in all good fun, I think you have to. You know, every team's got one, and I think you have to enjoy a little bit of the antics, especially if if your player is successful. And uh, Yuma has has proven to be successful. Uh, do you think that we see Christian Nava return to the lineup in this one? I mean, I I would I would hope so. I mean, I know he was on the injured list with the lower body injury, yeah, along with a few others. But do you think any of our? I, I mean, we'll know by Friday or by Thursday if the injury list uh, has updated, but. Do you, I guess do you kind of hope that you get Nico Brett back for this one and even Christian Nava at that match? I think I think you need to I think I like the lineup for the for the switchbacks game. I think you could mm-hmm. still take that one in. And I think you have good places to replace, right, with with getting uh Nico and uh Nava back. And even if they're not starting, having them within in the reserves. I think is good good news for you um, going forward, especially at home, knowing how much um, Nava is loved by the supporters and everybody in New Mexico, just, you know, the hometown mm-hmm. and whatnot. I think that, that in itself gives you a little bit of confidence too for him. And I think that gives you a little bit of, um, a little bit of swagger uh, if he comes on. Okay, so let's preview El Paso a little bit. Let me continue. The excitement got me off track. No <laughs> pun intended. <laughs> oh, I yes. love it. I, I love, love it. it. <laughs> so uh, El Paso won three and one in the last uh, five matches. Very notable of their of their of their matches. They had a four four draw with Colorado Springs Switchbacks. You may remember this match. El Paso went down by three in the first half. And they managed to score four straight 
in the second half before conceding the eventual drawing goal uh, that made it a 4-4 match. Still a match that El Paso had no right to win. Then all of a sudden you thought, okay, well, I guess they deserve to win, but then they gave it up at the last moment. Um, something to see with that, they scored uh, through those five matches, they scored eight goals, conceded 10 of the eight goals. Um, Dylan Morris and Louis Seleniak each split having four apiece. So these two players, obviously players to watch for El Paso as the hot players. They're the only two that have scored through the last, uh, the last uh, three matches. And uh, so coming into this match, obviously, United has to really kind of lock down a little bit of that perimeter outside the 18 because Dylan Morris has been known to let him fly. And, of course, Louis Salinac can get inside the box and kind of put in the uh, the second ball or, you know, the, the through ball. So, so that being said, um, going into formations, um, El Paso has come out in a 4-3-3 the last two matches against Phoenix and San Diego Loyal. They were in a 4-2-3-1 against Colorado Springs and Monterey Bay, and then they were in a 4-1-4-1 against Loose City. Uh, the results, a win against Phoenix, a loss against San Diego, the draw with Colorado, the loss with Monterey Bay, and the loss with Loose City FC. Um, are, are we expecting them to probably come out in the 4-3-3 uh, formation just because that's what they've used as of late? I I, th- I would want to say that if you're El Paso and you just watched NM United's match against Colorado, you are probably mimicking what they did. And uh, you are either doing the 4-3-3 or you're going back to what you used against Colorado um, and kind of disrupt in the middle and get into those spaces, right? Especially if you're... Um, um Seleniak, right you're you're looking at those spaces and 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 Mars too right like you, you you have two people that are well known to shoot the ball on release and if you're watching film from last time you're either mimicking Colorado or you're going to look at something what worked against Colorado and would most likely work against United do you think United is already stuffed with the fact that El Paso has only been rocking a back four the whole time, considering that they're only going to probably have three up top. Maybe. Maybe. So I think that's I think that's something that, you know, you know, obviously United has had to obviously prepare for, right? Well, this team's been in a back four and not leaving mm-hmm. that alone. And in some instances, they're either going with that three in the mid or they're doing a little two three in the mid kind of jumbling in a little bit, dropping some, some players down. So I'd have to imagine that Zach Prince is going to have to send more Adam. He's going to have to probably really activate his wings to kind of give uh, a little bit more depth, a little bit more dimension to uh, the attack. I mean, looking at what we did against Colorado with freighter coming down at times, there sometimes there was no players with freighter. There was no connecting balls. I saw yeah. several times that freighter was like doing one of these, come on guys, like, come on. And like, there was like no one there. And it was like, you know, you, you just wonder if, uh, if we need to institute more of a speed, speed game here, we need to see maybe Tabor, Tabor Preston, Tabor Taka Preston in the match. Maybe we need a little bit more speed up front for this one, because 
or simplicity. We, right. Because doesn't it seem like sometimes we slow down the attack? Like we just don't match up well to the adverse adversity or sorry, not right. the adversity to, to the opponent. Like we just don't seem to, you know, if you have a Haji Berry on the pitch and you don't have a player that can keep up with Haji Berry, that seems like that's a problem. Yeah. Right. We definitely saw that in, with Colorado in the second half where they just like slowed down the entire match big time. Yeah. And we know fatigue has been an issue for United as well. We saw that with uh, Los mm-hmm. Dos. And I mean, obviously those kids were loaded up on Takis and like Red Bulls, but <laughs> I mean, still, you know, like you'd hope, you'd hope that fatigue isn't a thing. I mean, maybe El Paso won't take the game as wide as Colorado did, right? No. I, I think El Paso is going to be looking to play that space in the middle because you want to get Mares involved. I think that's going to be El Paso's key to success is how involved Mares is going to be in in this game. Right? He's he leads he leads with El Paso on goals, and I think he also leads on assists. And so, like, if that's going to be your game plan, then you lead through Mares. And um, if you're United, you're saying, okay, then how do we shut him down? And if that's I don't really know if that formation that we went out with Colorado is going to be the one that, you know. Yeah, that 3 4 does three it, three is going to be checked. Yeah. Especially, especially if, if El Paso comes out with something different. Right. I right. think I, I think if you're looking at it, you're ex- probably expecting a 4 3 3. It looked like it worked well for them for the last two games. I know you lose to Loyal, but. It looked like you caused some problems there. So, if El Paso is coming out in a four-three-three, how are you matching? How are you matching their their technique? Right. Like, do you show a four-three-three, but you you know drop into something? Right. You're not, you know. So, are you are you playing a defensive four-three-three, and we're we're playing almost a sweeper, and then having our two wings a little bit drooped and really looking more like a what a four-one. Two one two or something, you know. What right. are we? What are we looking at? Like to defend or and then try and go forward, right? Because you still got to push numbers forward and. Mm-hmm. Right, and so along that line, I guess I guess if we see the lineup from Colorado, that's not bad. I hope that we don't see the lineup be too different because. Obviously, right. every match the lineup has changed, and so mm-hmm. there's it's. I can't imagine that it's from a player's perspective, right? That you can, you know, if the mat if the lineup's always changing, right? Or mm-hmm. from a supporter standpoint, you're like, wow, like there's not any sort of uh, cohesion or not cohesion. Like, uh, what am I thinking? Like, consistency, right? Exactly. You're like, oh, well, the lineup's always changing. What is the true eleven? Or if we had a good result against Monterey. And then all of a sudden the lineup change is like, well, what's going on here? Like we need to find something. Especially, especially with less than 10 games to go. You, that's, I think that's one thing as a supporter, you're sitting there saying like, well, if it worked for Monterey, granted Monterey, yes, Monterey did Monterey (laughs) and the switchbacks are two different teams. Right. But if, but if it's not broke, don't fix it. Right. Like, right. And that, that's something, you know, I was kind of going back and looking at, a lot of our starting lineups throughout the season and it's you're right about that like I was kind of like we don't have a a steady formation on that at all it's just you know you do have to change it based on who your opponent is but um 
sometimes you're like that a certain formation worked really well and then you just see you never really see it again and you're like why you know i just feel like consistency is like raking leaves in the wind with like these lineups because it's just like Mm -hmm. it's always changing nothing's ever set and uh yeah, so I mean, you know, coming into this match, you know, there's still a lot of unknowns. Hopefully, some things happen as we're we're talking about maybe a static lineup, something that Zach can be aggressive with. I mean, look, he was very aggressive with that Memphis game to come out with Crater. I just hope mm-hmm. that you know we see a lot of the same thing. Hopefully, maybe some players are back from the injury list. Maybe that gives us some more dimension. Uh, the last thing I think we can kind of a little bit talk about, I guess we can kind of tease it as playoff picture. I mean, currently United is sitting in a position in fifth place. Um, really, they still kind of control their own destiny. Um, if they went out, they could get 63 points. If they lose this match Friday, they would be at 60 points. But honestly, they would still be sitting higher than Las Vegas, El Paso, uh, Los Dos, and RGV if they lost the match. But where things start to get a little dicey as if they lose two matches. You know, mm-hmm. the draws obviously bring the ceiling down a little bit, but the losses just will not help us after two. Then it's gonna be it's gonna be real interesting uh, well, for United. Especially because a lot of our final games are against teams that are either above us above us <laughs> or below us. Or, you know, I mean, that's basically it. So, oh, I mean, if you go look at the like the last seven games, what San Antonio, Loyal, we have El Paso, uh, and Las then Vegas. we have Las Vegas, right? RGB and Los, RGB dos. And Los dos, right? All and teams it, that <laughs> this is playoff picture teams. And right. so, that and, and I think that's why this game is super important. One, yes, because it's a derby. Two, if you lose this game, you've got to sit there and reevaluate because you know that the you know that San Antonio is going to bring everything. You know Loyal is going to bring everything. You know Las Vegas is sitting there saying, "Hey, we're we're in control of our own destiny too a little bit, so mm-hmm. we need a little bit of help." But you know, and if you're a locomotive, you just put a you just put the I wanted to come up with a, a figure of speech, but I can't think of one. <laughs> but, but but you you tighten that that bolt on on United and say, okay, now we're not five points, we're two points, we're a win off. And if you lose the next one, you know what what's what's gonna happen next is I I I this has to be I think this has to be a both a, a must win. You walk away three points or. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, they, they can't afford to lose any more matches or even really draw at this point, right? Right. So so let's let's put the caboose. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Gotta <laughs> love the puns, Chris. Right. Let's <laughs> let's put the caboose on this one. Let's wrap it up. Predictions, score predictions uh for this match. Uh what do you got? I have uh New Mexico two, El Paso one. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna go with the uh, Dosa Zero. Okay, okay. Oh, Look yeah. at that. There might even be a chant that hits in the, okay. hits in the supporters. Uh, I, I, I think uh, that's. <laughs> I, I think that's also another key to this game is you, the supporters need to, and they will. They always do. But, but this is one that you really have to. 
if you're not screaming at the top of your lungs for 90 minutes, then <laughs> it's got to be one you got. This is going to be the one you got to scream for 90 minutes straight. So, um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm also going to have to uh, go with a a two one. Um, you know, I think that that one comes a little later in the match. I think we get a little bit of that that United scare we're we're used to. But I think the boys, uh, find, I think the boys find a way to close it out. Um, I think that they get the two ahead of the time, but I think that uh, it's just going to get real interesting, and this match is just going to be one for the books. The thirteenth installment of the Derby, and thirteen being such an unlucky number. I hope it just rains. <laughs> it just rains. It's going to be a monsoon, probably. I mean, we're going to have a lot of weird Black hijinks. Black going to be running around the pitch. Yeah. You know? It's going to be one. So it's uh, got to be something. Yeah. So uh, we're almost in the spooky season. So right. So well, that's going to wrap us up for Patrick. Thanks for joining us, Veronica, my co-host, and myself, Chris Walker. You've been listening to the weekly edition of We Are Seeking Strike. We are out. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to We Are Seek and Strike podcast, brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network. Find more USL-related podcasts and written content at bgn.fm. To never miss new content, consider subscribing wherever you get your podcast. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the episode. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Seek and Strike Collective. Lastly, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Roughneck Scarves and Icarus FC. Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf supplier to MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Tired of the same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates from Nike and Adidas? Looking for a unique, completely custom kit for your youth club, Sunday league squad, adult or even pro team? Icarus FC can help you create the kit of your dreams at an affordable price. Let them help you design your new custom kit today at IcarusFC.com.